Welcome. You're listening to audio from Life Church in Chico, California. We're so glad that you're here. Life Church's mission is simply to connect people to Jesus. You can find out more about our mission and who we are on our website at lifechurchchico.org. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Uh, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15? And as we're getting there, we, we're in this series called Made New. And uh, really excited about the series. This will be the, the last one of it, even though it's just three short weeks. Um, I've really enjoyed this time. Week one, if you remember, was the difference between uh, being a believer and, and, and living according and following after the ways of Jesus versus the world and what that looks like and how, how do we uh, think through that while we are in the world? How do we be part of the kingdom of heaven called citizens of heaven? How do we differentiate the two because they're very different realities though we're still living out this life here on earth? And so what is God calling us to and how are we actually making steps to following the Lord? And so I hope that was helpful. And then the second one um, last week was, was the story of Daniel and the, the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and this story of these, these young men were made new. They followed after the heart of God and they did not relent. They didn't give in even though they were in the midst of the world that, that was pushing and pressuring them to uh, secede and to give way of their ways instead of following after the Lord. And, and what we saw after all of that is that they actually, of course, got through the fiery furnace. They got through this uh, seven times hotter uh, challenge that was in front of them and they actually walked out with not even a hint of smoke on them. And so I just love those moments when we trust Jesus in the midst of this pressurized world, uh, we can actually walk through this fiery furnace and walk out on the other side, not even smelling like a hint of smoke. And I just think that there's something really powerful in that. And so this morning, uh, this morning service or sermon is called Lost and Found. Anybody ever lose something in elementary school that was like your favorite sweatshirt or hoodie or water bottle? Uh, or am I talking to all the parents who are like, I've paid for 14 of those things. I'm sick and tired of the lost and found thing, you know. Um, <clears throat> but this is about being lost and being found and uh, how, how the Lord cares and loves every single one of you. Can I get an amen? And everyone that you know. Just a quick reminder, look around real quick and see how many open seats are available. There are people in your life right now who need Jesus's loving touch. And it is a simple way of inviting and saying, hey, would you just, I, here's what the Lord's done in my life. And, and hey, we've got, I've, got a, I've got a seat for you. I will reserve it for you. I will pick you up. We will come together. What is it that we need to do to, in, order, in order to say, hey, you know what? The Lord loves and cares for the lost. He came to find the lost, yes, to seek and save the lost. And so we want to really keep that in front of us. And so we are made new in this series, we, we are uh, made new in Christ. We are, uh, according to 2 Corinthians 5, uh, we are made new. The old is gone, the new is here. And so we have this new life that we get to live and it gives us a different perspective. It changes the reality of which uh, I was once holding on to the ways of this world. I've let that go. I've let that die with the old man. And now I'm living uh, this new life according to Christ. And sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes that's, that's uh, painful. Uh, if you know the story of John Newton, uh, he was the, the author of Amazing Grace. This man has quite a testimony, and the reason why he wrote this song, I want to share with you. At, at age 47 in 1779, he was a slave trader. 
So he was on ships. He was, he was going into countries and lands and literally stealing people, uh, enslaving them. And then he would take them to a different land and sell them off. This was his business. And he was incredibly successful at this business. Wow, right? So, so here's John Newton, and, and he's very good at what, he's, what he does. At the age of seven, his, or actually I think it's the age of nine, his mom passed away. But before that, he, has distinct, he had distinct memories of his mom instilling uh, who the Lord was in his life. At age seven, he remembers this very clearly. And so the story goes on where, where he, he is on the ship and they're on the coast and there's an incredible storm that comes. And the storm is just beating their ship uh, pretty much to pieces. And, and men are flying overboard. They're drowning, right? Like these, these guys that he's been working with and, and, and living life with. And so they're getting thrown overboard and drowning. And so he's at the helm of the ship, at the, at the, basically steering the ship through the storm for 11 straight hours. He gets through it. But the thing he cries out throughout, the sto- throughout this 11 hours is, God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. God, God, have mercy on us. And he recounts basically in this moment that he says, he says, I can only remember when I was seven that, the, that, that my mom instilled who the Lord was in my life. And so he's, he's crying this out, Lord, have mercy on us. So he gets through the storm, it subsides. And then what does he do? He, he gives away his business. He lets it go. He goes and he learns Greek and Hebrew to understand the Bible. And then he becomes a pastor and he writes this song called Amazing Grace. He, he went from a slave trader to setting the captives free. Isn't that powerful? That even though he, he was in this profession and this trade that was so, uh, so uh, devastating to so many lives, he actually came back and actually was, was a front runner in trying to abolish slavery at that time. And so he became not only physically just an abolitionist of slavery, but he also, in, in spiritually speaking, he was looking to set the captives free, to set people free in Christ. And so he writes this song, Amazing Grace. Of course, you know the words, how sweet the sound. You guys want to sing it with me? Ready? You got you to partner with me, okay? This is a vulnerable moment. <laughs> Those online, mute. Ready? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Ooh, good job. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Come on, give it up. Come on. Thank you for the seven people that clapped on that one. Good job. Glad we're really participating here this morning. That sounded so good for you guys. I'm sure it was not as great for me, but that's okay. These words are profound. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. And so he really had this moment on the ship where he really surrendered his life. And I don't know if you've had that moment <clears throat> with the Lord in the past where you maybe have gone astray, you, you, you went down your own way, and then the Lord just simply highlighted something in your life that you went, oh my goodness, I've been lost. I've been going the wrong way. I've strayed away, and now I'm back into the land of the living. 
as Proverbs or Psalms would quote that. Jesus is responding to the, oper- uh, the oppression and the opposition of the Pharisees in Luke 15. And he, he's really combating their Pharisaical ways. And I wanted to just share with you as we get into uh, uh, Luke chapter 15. In 14, one, he says, uh, he, it says he was being carefully watched. And, and a critical eye is always watching to see where you're going to mess up. And so these Pharisees were always, always watching. If you read through the Gospels, you'll actually see that sometimes or, or very often. Whenever the Pharisees were around Jesus, they were always always watching. They always wanted to see when is he going to mess up. And that's a, that's a picture of what the world does as well. In 15.2, it says, uh, this man welcomed sinners and he eats with them is what the, what the Pharisees would say about Jesus. And, and they would just say, I cannot believe that he's actually doing these things. Like, like caring, like, like reaching out actually gaining relationship so that he might have influence in somebody's life. A quote says this, a penitent sinner pleases God more than a ceremonially, ceremonially correct Pharisee. And it's quite evident in this parable that we're about to read. And so if you'll skip down to verse 11, this is the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. Prodigal means something, somebody who wastes away an inheritance but this man, this son was lost. And, and before I even start, we were, we were all lost. So let's start there, okay? Not, I'm found, you're lost, what's your problem? No, I understand. I can relate because I've been there. What a different perspective that is when we actually shift and we say, no, I've been in your shoes. I understand what it's like. I know the challenges. I know the depth of pain. I know the heartache. I know the turmoil. I know the tension between wanting to be, but not. I've seen there. I've been there. I've done that. And I I understand. Uh, Secondly, there's probably some in this room who have quote unquote prodigal sons or daughters. And I want to just prayerfully just say, Jesus, would you make a way? Because Jesus knows, he sees, he understands. And so uh, even for our kids, though they're young and they're still in our house, you never know where they're gonna go and what's gonna happen. And so one of our prayers is like, Lord, we trust you. Like I'm stewarding these young ones as best as I can, but I know they're gonna be out of the house at some point. But I know that you love them. I know that you see them and I know that you're knocking on their door no matter what. And so I just wanna prayerfully uh, concede with you on those things. So let's read verses 11 and 12 real quick here. It says, Jesus continued. It says, he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So here's this young son who just comes to the father and says, look, look, just give me what's mine. I'm out of here. Now, just so you know, traditionally, that son could have just been executed on the spot. That's just completely in, in the culture of that day. You would have never seen that. So the audacity for this young son to come to the father and do this is, is really shameful to the family. And so he could have been just banished, uh, just like, no, you're, you're out, you're gone no matter what. Um, but instead the father just concedes and he says, you're going to do this, go for it. See you later. Just so you know, too, just one of these interesting facts is the younger son would get, he would usually typically receive a third of the estate. The older son would get two thirds of the estate. And so here he's, he's looking to get his third of his inheritance 
and then go off on his own endeavor, okay? So he's just decided in his heart, he's on his way, he's out, and you do not see the, the, the father saying, no, you're gonna stay right here. It's interesting, the father in choice, in choosing, says, okay. In fact, here, here's my, here's your, here's your third inheritance. So let's read verses 13 through 16. It says, not long after that, The younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began uh, to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. So he collects all he has and he goes to this uh, distant country, this distant land. And there's a couple of things that you might want to consider here. This this distant country is considered the world. It's considered everything that isn't within the father's household, okay? So if we were to relate that right now, it's like following Jesus versus being part of the world, okay? So so the son just said, I want everything. I'm done. I'm going to live according to the desires of my flesh. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to have my way. And so he's going accordingly to this and he's going to a distant land so that he might not know anybody so he can start this quote unquote new life that's going to be quote unquote fulfilling. Anybody on track with this? Like the lure of the world makes you think and makes you believe and, and gives you this sense like, I'm gonna have this new fresh start, this new fresh beginning. And guess what happens when you move to a different city, you move to a different state, you move to a different country, your problems still come with you. Stay here in Chico, would you? So he goes. And what does it say? He squanders his wealth. And that word squander is kind of interesting. It's, it's disperse, scatter, or waste. It, it actually has a sense of winnowing. And if you understand winnowing, it's, it's winnowing weed. It's like, it's this open, uh, basically this big, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Strainer of, of wheat. So it's very open and, and they shake it and all the excess just flies away. So that's literally like throwing money out the window. I mean, he's just partying, he's having fun. He's just like, get, throw, like throwing his money left and right and he squanders his wealth so quickly. And this is a pattern of the world. And so here he spent everything and then guess what happens? Severe famine. Oh man, the knocks just keep on coming, don't they? The world is really good at continuing to give you knock after knock after knock after knock. And somehow the world doesn't respond the way in which a believer or maybe the father would. So when living in his best life in and of the world, it's not surprising to see one hardship after another. So he begins to be in need. And this need is really interesting because it really talks about a lack of, it talks about to becoming short of, he ends up not having what he really needs to even live. 
Imagine that, outside of the Father's house, he doesn't have what he needs to actually live the life that he so desires and wants, but yet never actually has. We will always come up short outside of the Father's house. Luke twenty two thirty five. Jesus, it says, then Jesus asked them, what, when I, he's talking about sending out the disciples, and he says, when I sent you without a, a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? And the response was, no, we didn't. If you remember that story, right, they, he just said, hey, just go. I want you to go out together two by two and, and just take nothing with you and just trust that the Lord's gonna take care of you. So they actually went and they did this. And the response and the testimony is, did you, did you lose out? Did you lack anything? Did you, did you find yourself okay? And, and the disciples said, we didn't lack anything. In fact, we probably had more. But the world takes and takes and takes and so you find yourself in this need. And, and I'm sure we've all found ourselves there. No money equals big problems. Big problems equals a huge need. And a huge need equals a big God. But the world, and sometimes we, try to strive to figure out. I'm just striving. It's like trying to catch a, a, a slippery fish. You know, it's like, I just need to figure out how to, how to land. This. I just need to know what I need to do. And I just try to strive, strive, strive. And I just end up short every single time. And we, we, we lack to recognize that we need this God to, to help our need, to fulfill our need, to, to help our problems, to, to renew us, to refresh us, to then make us new. Without physical needs, listen, this is probably one of our biggest tensions. Without, our phys- without physical needs, uh, you know, like eating, having a home, having a car, gas prices. Whew. But without having these needs and being so comfortable, we, we, we really quickly lose sight that we need Jesus. So, so that's why I'm always encouraging you, what's your next step of faith? It's a, a step of faith is, is something unseen. It's like trusting that the Lord's gonna fulfill. And it's, it's a leaning in and it's a trust. And it's, if I take a step of faith, I'm trusting that the Lord is gonna come through. He's gonna meet me where I'm taking this step of faith. And as I'm, as I'm leaning in and taking this scary step of faith, he's gonna meet me in this moment. And therefore, man, I trust that he's gonna fulfill my needs. But if we sit back in comfort and the places of safety and security, and I'm going to just put my bubble wrap around me, I'll never understand the depth of what God wants to do in and through me. So we have to be careful not to live in this land of comfort all the time, but step out in need. So if he encourages you and he's, he's prompting you to do something big, then maybe be praying about it and actually take the steps of faith that would lead to that big step and see the Lord come through in these ways. And by the way, spiritually, we're all in desperate need. But sometimes our physical comfort blocks that from our view. And we want to make sure that we're tracking with that. So Luke chapter 15, verse 15. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Verse 17, it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And, And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Okay, okay, okay. He's gonna come to my senses. 
I'm going to go back to, to, back to my father. And man, even his servants were taken care of. Even in this moment, the servants in my father's household are treated better than I am in the world. He came to his senses. I like how uh, he, he already started like rehearsing what he was going to say to his dad. Anybody, uh, as a young, young child, I remember uh, coming home with not so great of a report card. And I and my brother and sister always got really good report cards. At least that's what I, I don't know about my sister. Sorry. But my brother always got like, like perfect grades. And he was such a slacker. And I'm, I would say that to his face. He just was so good at school. And I had to work so hard because I was not great at school. And I came home with this bad report card one time. And I remember sitting on my stairs and thinking, what am I going to say to my mom and dad? And I tried to rehearse all the things that I would say and all the excuses and all the ways I might be able to navigate and manipulate and change, like help them understand why I didn't get such a good grade. And so I, we have these moments where we try to pre-rehearse and, and try to figure out what what is dad going to say? What is, what is that relationship? What is that person going to say? How should I respond? And so there's the, there's the spirit, a little bit of divination. And if you understand, like trying to read into the future, I, I'm going to dictate what they're going to say to me. So I'm going to have this response ready instead of just simply saying and coming up and saying, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But he, he, he conjures up this whole thing. And it's not bad in and of itself. He comes up with this whole thing to come to his father and say all of these really well-meaning things. But he came to his senses. This is important. <clears throat> he sobered up. Literally, he sobered up. I mean, he was out in the, in the land of the living. He was, he was partying. He was doing all the things. And he finally sobered up. He finally had a huge need. He finally found himself in a pit of pigs gross, by the way. Uh, we, we went on a bike ride the other day, and I was going to put this picture up, but it, would, it didn't come out as great as I had hoped. But we, we rode through, we rode past this, like, this house that had a, a pig pen, and it had these really huge, gross hogs, like nasty pigs. They were covered in everything. Ew. I mean, I'm not a farm guy. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it was disgusting but I sure like bacon. <laughs> However, there were like six or seven cute little piglets winking around. They were adorable. I would eat them too, though. <clears throat> Seriously, he's, he finds himself in this, this pig pen, and he, and he sobers up. And sometimes the Lord uses those moments in the pig pen to give us a massive reality check. Maybe not reality, but a real spiritual heart check. You've probably been there. You might be there. You might be headed to that. And I just want to encourage you. Find your way to the Savior right now. Sober up. When he sobers up, there's two things critical that happen here. This, this very first thing, he, he sobers up and he, what does it say? He, who comes to mind? The father. He said, my father's house, in, in my father's house, my, 
Even his servants are taking it. He thought of his home. He thought of the house of God. He thought of the good things his father had provided for him. He thought of the love. He thought of the life. He thought of the family. He thought of these things. He was reminded of, just like John Newton as a seven-year-old, he was reminded of the goodness of God in that, in that pig pen. He, he sobered up and he remembered the goodness of the father. Even though probably at the time when he left, he was probably like, you don't know anything, dad. You're a jerk. Just give me your money. And I'm going to squander it. So spiritually, he sobered up. Remember 1 Peter 5.8, it's not on the board. It says this, be alert and so and of sober mind. I think every sermon in these, in these Made New series, I have shared, be sober, be awake, be aware that there's an enemy prowling around like a, like a lion, seeking to whom he can devour. Like, like the enemy wants to get after you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to, he wants to get your eyes off of God. He wants to distract you. I think it's C.S. Lewis. I've said this quote several times lately. He says that if, this, if the enemy can't get you to sin, he's going to distract you. And we are so distracted. Don't let it get to a pig pen to go, oh, I've been distracted. I've lost my way. Because remember, the son was in the house and he left the house but now he's finding his way back. That leads to the second main point. Once he sobered up, he, he thought of his father, thought of the goodness of the father, thought of his life that he had. And then what does he say? He says, I'm gonna go back. Everybody say, go back. Uh, when I was, a, I was a, a bagger at Knob Hill, got to wear my apron. It was awesome. Bagged all the bags, and then I helped anybody out to their cars unload their, 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 their bags into their really filthy, disgusting cars that often smelled like a pig pen. And then I'd go back, and one of the jobs at the, at the grocery market or the, this Knob Hill was, was called go-backs. And it was just this pile of, of, of things that people would come to the register with and be like, nah, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. I don't want. And you would just pile up in this big old cart, and you'd have to take this cart, and you'd have to make it go back. You'd have to go back to every aisle. And I mean, we took a lot of work up and down the aisles like 400 times. I'd, I'd organize it all first by aisle, you know? That's, what, that's how my mind works. I'm like, how can I do this fast as I could possibly do this? And then I run around the store. But they had their original location on the shelf that was set up by the manager, by the owner that said, this is exactly what this, one, what this thing is made for. This is the exact place I need it to be. And the Lord has an exact place for you. And sometimes we end up in the shopping cart as, as feeling like a leftover or lost or, 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 or down and out. And the Lord wants to say, no, I have a specific design and place for you. And I want you to go back. And this go back is really this place of repentance. It's, it's a place where, where uh, this, this young man, he recognizes, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna return to the father. And what does he say right after he says, go back? He says, because I have sinned against heaven and against my father. So there's this true sense of, I am so sorry. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna turn. I'm literally gonna get out of this pig pen this place of mess that I found myself and I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna walk back this long journey because it was a distant country, a distant land away and I'm gonna make it to the Father. And I'm gonna do this, this repentance, it's sorrow for sin, confession of offense against God, 
and a change of heart, which produces a change in action. Sometimes we think we can just change our action, but yet inside we've never actually uh, sought forgiveness. We've never actually verbalized, Lord, I'm so sorry. Or maybe to your spouse or a friend or a family member, you've never actually said or verbalized, I'm so sorry for doing that. Please forgive me. There is an incredible power in seeking forgiveness and actually saying the words out loud. And so he says, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna follow after the Lord. I'm gonna go back. So here we are. <clears throat> Keep going in verse, at this middle of verse 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Just, I just could stop here. The father didn't go, get out of here. I gave you all my money. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Get out of here. How many times do we hear that lie? But it said the father was waiting for him. And he had compassion. I love you read through the gospels and you see Jesus inter interact with all the people. So many times it says he saw with compassion first and then he did something. He saw with compassion. You'll see this and then he heals people and he has miracles as an overflow of the compassion for those people. So the father has compassion on me. He, he ran to his son. You would know, you would need to know that no older man would dare run ever, but then even more so for a son, a wayward son, because everybody around would know, oh man, his son, what a loser. He took all his dad's money and he just left what he squandered it. He's out in some distant country. Just what a, what a failure. His father, heart abandoned, runs after his son. The father, heart abandoned, runs after you, comes after you. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Ew. He was just in a pig pen. He was not clean. He was dirty head to toe. He just traveled. I tell you, I've got some young boys. And they just play outside for six minutes and they come back in and it is like, dude, I don't want to be near you. But this father, heart abandoned, ran after him, grabbed him, wrapped him up, hugged him, kissed him on the neck for a heart of compassion and a heart that loves. He saw him. And so it says this, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he said half of what he had rehearsed, but he, that's as far as he could get because right after this, it says this, but the father said to his servants, so he's hugging him, he's kissing him. He's saying, I I'm just so glad you're back. And the son starts to say, dad, I'm so sorry. And he says, quick, hurry, hurry. And he just like shuts it down because why? The son was back. And he knew he was right there. He knew the son had responded in repentance and forgiveness and was seeking it. And so the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring, put a ring around his finger and sandals on his feet. 
bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let, let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. Can I have Carissa and Tyson? We're gonna, we're gonna uh, close in that amazing grace verse. So the father, he just ran and hugged him. He kissed him. The son was so quickly interrupted. Listen, God's forgiveness, think about this. It, it comes immediately. He, the, the son was forgiven immediately, like right on the spot. The son couldn't even get out the words. I mean, the dad tackled him in love. So, so there's nothing so far away from the Lord that he wouldn't forgive just immediately. No act, no deed. That when we come with a repentant heart, when we come with a heart that says, Jesus, I'm so sorry, he comes immediately without hesitation, no matter the transgression and no matter the distance, a faraway land, squandering the money. Later on, the, son, the, the older son tattles on him and he says that he was with prostitutes and everything else. I mean, he was far gone but yet the father immediately forgives him. So let's stand together. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 say this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Say alive. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So we were dead and now we're alive. We were slaves, but now we're free. We were blind, but now we can see. We were lost, and now we are found. So when we sing this song, when we sing, we're just gonna sing this one verse a couple of times. Let this be a moment where you grab onto one of those differences and you pour out your, your, your glory to God. You pour out your love for him. You pour out your, your gratefulness for him. Because we were all lost. We were all in our transgressions, but yet God, the love of the Father sent his son so that we might be alive and have this life in front of us. So let's, let's worship together.
sing that one more time. Let's sing it out. Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. You didn't come for the healthy, but you came for the sick. So Lord, I thank you that we've received those things from you. We've seen you come through in our lives and you've given us sight when we were blind. You've given us uh, a life when we were headed to death, Lord. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us freedom in the areas of our lives that, that seem to be bound, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we were once slaves, but now we're free. Lord, it, it really is that simple with you. That we can come to you in these times and just come and seek you out. So lead us in all these ways. Care for us in all of these ways. Reveal to us, Lord. Father, I pray that we would have a heart like this prodigal son when he found himself in the pig pen, Lord, I pray that we would have hearts that would be quick to repent, that we would be quick to be reminded of who you are. We would be quick to lean in on you, Lord. We would be quick, Lord, to understand that you are good and you do good. So Lord, dispel the doubts, quiet the fear. Give us boldness and courage in these places, Lord. I thank you that you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So we surrender our, our lives, Lord. We say, use us, Lord. Put us exactly where you want us in this life, and we surrender to it because we know that's the best place for us, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen and amen. Hey, I love you guys. Have an amazing Sunday. And uh, if you want any prayer at all, we'd love to pray with you guys. If not, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. Thank you for listening today. We hope that this week's message encouraged you. Life Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. here in Chico, California. You can also listen to us online during our 9 a.m. live stream. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, so please visit our website, lifechurchchico.org.